Thanks, Jessica. Good morning, everyone. I'm Nate, one of the pastors on staff here. Good to be with you. And let me also just add my happy Mother's Day to you who are moms here. And I have to say to my, those of you watching at home, my mom's watching at home this morning or tomorrow. I want to say happy Mom's Day, Mom. Love you. Uh, so glad to be your son. She watches uh, every Sunday or every Monday morning. She'll catch the service and she'll usually send me a little note later on Monday or Tuesday. Hey, like the service. You did this well. You could work on this maybe, you know. Um, but she's usually watching. And so I just want to say hi to my mom. Why is she watching uh, our church when she's in Colorado? Because uh, I'm her boy, right? <laughs> And uh, she wants to see what's going on in my world, and she pays attention to, that's what good moms do, they pay attention to what's going on in the lives of their kids. And uh, there's this uh, blessing that we sometimes use at funerals, at weddings, and we even sing it here on Sunday morning sometimes, and it talks about this idea of, of paying attention. It's from Numbers chapter 6. So I'm going to put it on the screen here. I'd like you to say these, this blessing with me. Uh, so let's say this together, right? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Give you peace. Lord, may he turn his face towards you. Why is it important that God turns his face toward us? Because that's the idea of paying attention, that he's looking, he sees, he's watching, he's aware of what we're going through in our lives and in our worlds. And scripture tells us over and over again that God is paying attention that he is with us, he is watching us, he is walking with us. And I love that blessing because it says, may he shine on you. Well, that's like action. Might he not just see, may he not just be paying attention, but might he actually be responding and doing things and bringing things into our lives that we need? Might he be shining on you? We don't need to snap our fingers and wave our hands and try to get his attention. Scripture tells us over and over again that God is paying attention. And that's one of the ways that his love shows up in our lives. There's an author, Scott Peck, who wrote this book, The Road Less Traveled, and he says this about love. He says, the principal form that the work of love takes is attention. Love is work, and it shows up in the ways that we pay attention. Love takes courage and strength, and, and we have to exercise our love muscles that we can love well. Love is a risk every time, every day. Whenever we share ourselves with someone else, when we open ourselves to them, it's, it's risky. We hope that they're going to reflect that love back to us, but they don't have to. We can, they can reject our love, and that's, that's why it's scary and risky sometimes to love others. And I don't know about you, I don't like being rejected, and so it's, it's scary. But I want someone to pay attention. We want people to turn their face towards us, to, to listen to us. And so when we want to love others, well, we want to give them that, because that's what we would want so we want to give them attention. We want to listen to their story, acknowledge that they have value, that they are important to us, to listen to them. And this is how Jesus lived. Jesus paid attention. Jesus looked out for those, especially those that were overlooked, those that were unloved. If we're going to talk about relationship goals, if we're going to talk about love, then we have to talk about Jesus because he loved so well. He looked out and he saw the man that was born blind that everyone was ignoring there was the tax collector sitting in a tree that everyone hated, but Jesus knew his name. How about the woman who was so desperate for healing that she made her way through that crowd just so she could touch his, touch his coat? And as soon as his coat, he said, who touched me? Who was that? He, he wanted to know who needed the healing that he could give. There was the widow who gave two pennies, and Jesus noticed. 
Or think about those little children that his disciples are trying to move along, or the woman at the well that they would have had him avoid, and yet Jesus stopped and looked them in the eye and blessed them. Jesus noticed people, and he wants those who follow him to notice people as well. This is our third week talking about relationship goals. So how are your relationships going this week? Have you had any relationship breakthroughs? Have you decided to engage in a new relationship or maybe invest in an existing relationship in some new ways? God is always working in our relationships, and there's nothing like being, having a good friendship or a healthy marriage or a, a loving, being a loving parent or being kind neighbors. These, these things, these relationships, when we pay attention to them, when we love well, we can actually reflect to people the grace and the mercy and the peace of God in amazing ways. We've identified a couple relationship myths, if you remember these, the, the right person myth that says, if I could just find the right person, everything would be all right. If I could just find that right person, all the challenges in my life, my life, all the things I'm going through, all of them would be all right if I could just find that right person. And we said, that's a myth. We know that's a myth. We, we need to ask God to transform us, to work in us, that we might be the kind of person that the person you're looking for is looking for, right? That you might become the kind of person that the person you're looking for is looking for. Or if you're married, that, that you might be the person uh, that marriage you was hoping for, you know, that God would do something new in us. And the second myth we talked about was the promise myth, right? The promise. We, we think that a, a vow and a party, a promise and a party is all we need to have amazing relationships. But a promises are no... Um, are no substitute for preparation. And when you say, I do, it doesn't mean you can. It just means that you've made a commitment to it, but you have to work at being able to love well, that it takes preparation. We prepare for all sorts of things in our lives, and we need to prepare to love well and ask God to help us. And again, Jesus is our example in this. Jesus said, I want you to love others as I have loved you. In other words, we don't get to define what this love looks like, it's not up to me to say, here's, what I want, here's how I want to love. I want to define it this way. Jesus says, no, I've defined it for you. I want you to love as I have loved you. And then Paul comes along and he says, let me help you know what this looks like in everyday life. Paul wrote letters throughout the New Testament and he wasn't writing new commandments. He was saying, I'm helping you understand the one commandment Jesus gave us, to love as he has loved others, as he has loved us. Here's what that looks like. And then Paul lays that out for us. So we've been looking at the fine print of that in 1 Corinthians 13. So if you've got your Bible with you, I want to invite you to open up to 1 Corinthians 13 as we've been looking at what does this love look like? How does this love that Jesus came to, to reveal to us, to call us to, what does it actually look like? And we really focused in on verse 4 last week. Love is patient, which means love doesn't push. That love changes its pace to match the pace of the other person. Love is kind, and the power of kindness calls us to remain present with someone rather than reminding them of their regret, rather than bringing up their weakness again and again. Yes, NFL, okay. <laughs> we, really, we really need to be kind to one another in these days. I was at our community center last week. We were a membership at the J, and uh, they had a little display in the lobby. I took a picture of it. It said, how will you create a ripple of kindness in the world? We need kindness in our world today. And kids wrote down on the hearts there what kindness looks like. Here's another picture, like helping others that need help. That's kindness. Smile, helping others. Here's one more picture that shows some ideas. You're still loved even when you're lost. Just be kind and then share your toys. That's a great one. I mean, as adults, we need to hear that, don't we? Share your toys. That's what it means to be kind. So after love is kind, we read love does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, 
which means that love is able to put the spotlight on others, to celebrate their story, to not have to always have it on them, but to pay attention to others. And so let's go back to this passage, and we're going to, I want to read the whole thing again, and then we're going to focus in on verse 5 this morning. But uh, 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 uh, through, through the beginning of verse 8, and just hear these words again. This is what love looks like, the kind of love that Jesus calls us to live out. If I speak in human or angelic tongues, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I might boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. We can do all these incredible things, but if it comes from a place of selfishness, if it comes from the brokenness in our lives instead of love, it's, it's not going to do anything of eternal value. And then Paul says, here's what this love looks like. Verse 4, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, it always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And then right at the beginning of verse 8, love never fails. This is the fine print. This is what love looks like. And we get to choose to love this way. Every day we make these choices. If we're going to love others, if we're going to pay attention to them, if we're going to turn our face toward them and look at them. We can deny that or we can share that with others. We can love well or we can choose to focus on ourselves. Every day we get this choice. And I want to say something to any of the students in the room right now. Any of you who are middle school, high school age, maybe young adults, you carry around in your pocket this little rectangle, this little plate. And this is a great training ground to learn how to love well. This little phone can really help you learn how to love well. We know that, uh, that we can make we can choose to do things on this phone that, that add positive things into people's lives. Or we can use this to destroy people. We get these choices every day. You can say, I'm, I'm going to be patient or I'm going to push my friends. I'm going to be kind or I'm going to celebrate the regrets of others. I'm going to make it about my friends or I'm going to keep the focus on myself. We get to choose how we're going to use this, this little phone, this little device. You and I both know that every day this phone is used to, to smack people down to cut them down, to hurt them, to destroy friendships, to rip people apart. It can create all kinds of pain and suffering. Listen to me, students. If you're a follower of Jesus, you can do better than that. You will do better than that. You'll pay attention. You'll be patient. You'll be kind. You'll give someone else the spotlight. Right now, you could send out a little note, a little text, a little snap, whatever it is, you could send that out to someone right now. Just three or four words that could lift them up, that could shine light into their day. How was your job? How was the job yesterday? How's your mom doing? How's that homework going? Just noticing them, asking them a question, letting them know that you're glad that they're your friend. You could bring light into their dark world. When you're tempted to send that picture that you know is going to hurt someone, when you're tempted to send out that words that are going to tear someone down, exercise love. Let this little device be like weightlifting for you when it comes to love. Learn how to love and love people well. That's what Jesus calls us to. Verse 5, it gives us a great description of what this love looks like. It starts with, love does not dishonor. 
Love does not dishonor others. We don't use that word a whole lot anymore, honor, but it has this power. There's this power in honoring others, a power that we all have. We can bring honor to others or we can take honor away. We can dishonor or we can, I don't know, re-honor, over-honor. We can bring honor to people. Love honors and love does not act dishonorably. Love does not act dishonorably. Honor is at the heart of every satisfying relationship. When we honor others, we add value. We bring value to them. We lift them up. We acknowledge what they bring to the table. If love pays attention, then part of that payment comes as we honor others. And Paul writes about this kind of love in a different letter in the book of Philippians. Chapter 2, he says these words, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Honoring means that we add value, that we value others above ourselves. Are they more valuable than we are? No, no, we're all valuable. We all are, we all are valued in God's eyes. But Paul says we should treat them like they are more valuable, like they are more important. We should honor them like they are beyond us. That's how we should treat them. And we don't do this by accident. This is not natural for us. This is hard work for us to do. I don't know about you, but in my human nature, I scream out for attention, right? I want people to see me. I want people to celebrate me and to honor me. I, I don't ask, you know, I have to ask the Spirit of God to help me. I don't want to share my toys either, right? But I've asked God to give me a new heart and a new mind. I've asked him to change me that I might be a new creation, that I might live that, not live that way any longer. And part of that new thing he's doing in me is this daily decision to honor others above myself. We choose this because this is how Jesus lived. This is the example Jesus gave us. How many times did Jesus uh, interact with someone and then say to them, now don't tell anybody else about this. Let's just keep it between you and me. I've just done something incredible in your life. Don't share it with others. It's just between you and me. There's 23 different times he said that. Don't tell anybody else about this. Now, there might be lots of reasons he said that, but could part of it be Jesus saying, this is about what God is doing in your life, the faith that you had that brought this healing. You know, don't tell anybody else I was involved. Let's just celebrate what God's doing in your life. You know what honor looks like? Do you know what it looks like to honor someone? Let me give you a quick example because you, you know what this looks like. Maybe it just helps to remind you of what it looks like. Let's say that uh, later tonight, tomorrow night, you're having somebody over for dinner. And not just anybody. Let's say it's somebody that would like blow your mind if you knew they were coming to your apartment, to your house. Somebody, some, a musician, an actor, someone that you look up to. Like let's say Tom Holland was going to swing by or Emma Stone was going to show up or maybe Ed Sheeran or Adele are going to come and sing a new song for you. I don't know, whoever you'd get excited about coming to your house. Harrison Ford, Charlie Parker, Bill Gaither, the guy that played Golem in Lord of the Rings. I don't know, whoever it is, they're going to come to your house and they're going to show up. What, what are you going to do? to get ready for them. What, what are you going to do to prepare? for the, You're going to clean, right? You're going to get out the toilet brush. You're going you're to put out the best dishes. You're going to go out and get great food or pull out your best recipe. You're going to do everything you can to make it awesome because you want to honor them that they would come by. If they show up late, you're not going to complain. You're not going to be like, hey, Denzel, we said 6.30, and it's 7.30. Where have you been for the last hour? No, you're going to say, hey, it's no big deal. I was just hanging around. No, I can wait. It's all right. I'm just glad you're here. I can't believe you're at my place. I am blown away that you are here. That's what honor looks like. Remember that story that Sam shared with us a couple months ago when he went to visit his friends in the Middle East, 
hospitality off the charts, right? He felt valued and loved and he felt honored because they took such good care of him. This is how God loves us. This is how Jesus lived. He honored others and lifted them up, especially those, especially those who were overlooked, those who were condemned. Love does not dishonor. I want to say that if you're in a relationship where you are consistently and constantly dishonored, that you need to change that story because you deserve honor. If you're in a relationship where someone makes you feel small, they put you down, they take things from you, if you feel dishonored, you need to change that story. If you're dating that person, I just want to give you permission right now, break it up, break it off. Get out of that relationship. You might be thinking, I've been thinking about that. I don't know. God, give me a sign. This is the sign. Break it off, all right? If you are being consistently and constantly dishonored. If you're in a marriage relationship, you need to change that story. And that's hard work. You might need to step away. You might need to create some space. I don't want you to get a divorce, but you might need to step away to change the story, to bring something different. You deserve honor. Love does not dishonor. Paul then goes on. He says, love is not self-seeking. Love doesn't look to make much of itself. Today we might say love is not selfish. It puts the interests of others before itself. And in Philippians 2, Paul talks about this, right? He said, put others, he says, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Love is not selfish. It puts the interests of others first. What are you interested in? Let's talk about that for 30 minutes. What do you want to watch? Let's look, let's do that together. What's your story? Love puts the other person first. And let's be honest, if we live this way in our most important relationships, wouldn't that take care of like 90% of the problems? If we were constantly trying to put the other person first, wouldn't, I mean, the only problem would be who gets to go first, right? It'd be like, no, you go first. No, no, please, you go first. You know, that would be the problem. But love, this is what love does. When you are not self-seeking, when we, we push back, we were so close. We were so close. So close. Thanks, Kara. Well, we tried. Um, we're still working on it. Obviously, you can tell. We're still working on it. We're getting closer. We're getting closer. Where was I? All right. Uh, love pushes back against this natural selfishness that we have in us. And we begin to say with our lives, it doesn't need to go my way. It doesn't have to go my way every time. I can let others have their way. And, and we can practice this kind of love. And we do it because, again, we do this. Why do we do this? This is how God loves us, our example. This is how Jesus loved us. Jesus once said, be like the Son of Man. He said, be like me. He did not come to be served. Instead, he came to serve others. I came, Jesus says, to give my life as the price for setting many people free. Jesus came to serve others, which is the opposite of serving yourself, which is selfishness. Paul then says, he says, love does not dishonor, love is not self-seeking. And then he says, love is not easily angered. Love is not easily angered. And that little word, easily, that's what's important in that phrase. Because we all get angry. Anger is okay. It's okay to get angry. We all get angry. If, if you're in a relationship with someone that matters to you, if you're in a deep relationship with someone, you're going to get angry. I've been here almost a year. I know many of you, not all of you yet. But if, as you get to know me, I'm going to get angry at you someday, and you're going to get angry at me. It's just going to happen. That happens in relationships. And so what's important here is easily. Love is not easily angered. And that angered word there uh, in the Greek, and Paul wrote these letters in, in Greek. In the Greek, it has to, it's like a cooking term. It has to do with stirring up. That we don't get stirred up 
easily. We don't get agitated. We don't, you know, it doesn't happen fast for us. We get twisted up and stirred up. It's, it, it take, it's slow. This kind of love, the stirring is, is slowed down. When we love people well, we take that anger, we absorb that anger we feel, and we process it. And we say, okay, why? Why am I feeling this? What's going on in this story? We don't react. We, we, we absorb and we process that anger because we stir slow. I, I think about making um, Rice Krispie treats. You guys like Rice Krispie treats? You start with that bowl of, of Rice Krispies and you pour in the melted marshmallows and butter. You can't stir quick, right? The cereal goes everywhere, so you got to stir slow. And then the marshmallows slow you down, you know? It's like, mm, yeah, this is going to be good. That's, that's what Paul is saying. He says love is not stir. It, I mean, this kind of love, it doesn't stir up easily. It takes its, its processes, it's patient, it's kind, it doesn't hit back. Let me give you an example of this, this kind of love. It's a true story that we see in the Bible. Paul and Silas are walking through the ancient world and they're helping people learn about the love that Jesus has for them. And they come into this town and there's this woman who's enslaved by two owners and they're using her to make money. So Paul sets her free, releases her from this slavery. And of course, the owners aren't happy because they've just lost the moneymaker. And so they, they arrest, they get Paul and Silas arrested and they get them thrown in prison. Here's what it says in Acts 16. After Paul and Silas had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Now, I'm not an angry guy, but if someone flogs me, like beats me, think about what flogging is, severely whipping, cutting my back, and then takes me to prison and puts my feet in stocks, which, think about it, your feet are like stuck in position for hours. I I would get angry. I was trying to help someone. I was freeing this woman from slavery. God, what are you doing? Why am I, why am I beat up and here in prison? I would get angry. What do, what do Paul and Silas do? Verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. It would have been natural to curse the, prison, the, the, the jailer. It would have been natural to curse God and say, what are you doing? But Paul and Silas, they're not stirred up quickly. I'm sure they were angry. They must have been angry. Can you imagine being whipped and not getting angry? But they took that in. They, they processed it, and they became songs of praise to God, and they have a little audience listening to them as they're thanking God for their lives and where he has them. And maybe you say, well, it's because they're stuck in prison. That's why. They, what else could they do? Well, then there's an earthquake. The prison gates open up. They're, they're, everything falls off. They're, the chains all fall away, and it's darkness, and the jailer comes running back, and he's getting ready to take his life because as a Roman guard, a Roman jailer, if you lose your, your um, inmates, you, you lose your life. And so in the darkness, Paul and Silas call out, verse uh, 28, Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all here. We didn't run off, we could have taken off, but we're here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in and fell t- trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? See, this is love. Instead of erupting in anger, as soon as they were freed, instead of running off and saying, forget that guy, he, he locked us up. Instead of doing that, they, they stayed and they saved a life. Does anger erupt out of you easily? Do the people in your life know how to push your buttons because they're so big and so easy to push? Do you get ticked off easily? Love absorbs and listens and responds with kindness. It's okay to say that you're angry. I say, I'm angry about this, but you can do it with calmness and gentleness. Now, you might be thinking, well, if I was with the right person, I wouldn't be angry all the time. You know, they're, they're making me angry. That's the right person myth. We've already talked about that. This isn't about them. 
how can you learn and train yourself and prepare yourself so when anger comes, you know how to identify it, how to categorize it, how to process it in healthy ways. One more in verse 5. Love keeps no record of wrongs. No record. There's no list. There's no backup file. When you love others the way that Jesus loved you, you don't keep a ledger that you go back and check. It doesn't go searching. Love doesn't go searching through old emails to find those reasons why that person doesn't deserve my kindness and my patience. Love doesn't pull out the files and cross-reference the offenses and lock people away in their past failures. There's this great phrase. Some of us love saying this phrase, I told you so. Some of us love it when we get a chance to say, I told you so. I could have seen this coming. I've seen the patterns. I see the history. I told you so. I told you so damages the love that you show. I told you so gets in the way of helping people feeling like they're connected to you, that they can trust you, that you're with them. It pulls down love. We all have blind spots, right? We all have things that we need other people to help us see. But most of us are pretty well aware of our own issues, our own failures, the things that we don't do that we know doesn't honor God and hurts other people. And when you constantly bring those up in the life of someone that you care about, you're not creating a relationship that's known for love. And a God, a God, again, of course, is our example. He loves us. He knows everything we've ever said or done or thought. He has a file cabinet every day. He's got its own folder. But when we come to him and ask for his forgiveness, receive life from him, he closes that up and locks it. It doesn't, even, it doesn't affect our relationship with him any longer. Psalm 103 paints this picture for us. The Lord is compassionate, merciful, patient, and always ready to forgive. He will not always accuse us of wrong or be quick to anger. There's that stirring up, right? He's not treated us as we deserve for our sins or paid us back for our wrongs. As high as the heavens are above the earth, that's how vast his mercy is towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far he has removed our rebellious acts from himself. God doesn't treat us as we deserve to be treated. He doesn't hold our rebellious acts against us. He removes them from us. He turns his face toward us, and he shines into our lives. There is a being who will try to remind you of your past. There is an accuser that will continue to keep reminding you of the hurt you've caused yourself and the hurt you've caused others, but that evil one does not hold your future. All he can do is remind you. He can't do anything to you. He cannot sway the love that God has for you, the grace of God, the peace of God. You don't have to listen to him. Instead, you can listen to your Father God who says that you are loved and accepted. Your Father God who is patient with you and compassionate. Music's coming in to end the service. <laughs> so you, I want to encourage you, love as God has loved you. Love does not dishonor. It values others above itself. Love is not self-seeking. It puts the interests of the others first. Love is not easily angered. It absorbs and it is patient. Love keeps no record of wrongs. It sets people free from past offenses. This is how God loves us. And this, he, this is how he calls us to love others. So let's, let's thank him for that love and let's ask him to help us love as he has loved us. Will you, will you pray with me? Father God, we're so thankful for your amazing love. We're so thankful that we can trust you, that you are here with us right now. Father, thank you for forgiving, for your patience, for your kindness. Thank you for being an example to us, Jesus, of what love looks like. 
Father God, we ask that you would help us learn how to love this way. That you would help train us and prepare us. Father, we're tired of trying to love. We want to train to love. Will you start with us where we're at today and allow us to experience something new in our relationships? When we think about that friend, we think about that child, we think about that spouse or that parent, we think about this relationship that means so much to us, Father, and you know the challenges that we're facing. So we ask that you would help us love that person well, that we would prepare, that we would work on ourselves, what we can change, what you can change in us, that we could love well. We thank you for this passage that Paul wrote, Lord, that helps us understand what what love looks like, Jesus-style love, what it looks like. Help us to live it out. And we pray this in your great, powerful name and in your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. I want to invite you to stand. We're going to sing together and I want to invite our prayer volunteers to come up at this time. Every Sunday at the end of our service, we want to invite you to to come up and be prayed for. While we're singing here, you can come on up. And if there's a relationship in your world that you'd like someone to pray with you about, to encourage you and and, uh, lift it up with you, just come up and let us pray with you. And uh, you don't have to leave here carrying that alone. We want to be with you in it. So let's sing together. Let's pray together and look for what God's doing.